Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. We are going to have a chat today about something I think that's important for today and for the years to come. Uh, The title of our episode today is How to Bounce Back. You know, bouncing back is a term in, it's often used in the world of golf, for example. In the pro golf, a guy has a, a gal has a really bad hole. They bogey, they double bogey, and then they have what's called the bounce back birdie, where they birdie the next hole. And it's to center the equilibrium, get them right back on track. And it seems to, in the professional golf, for example, align the focus and the energies and the attention. And no matter how upset or ticked off they are about what happened to them or by their own hand, they center their attention on immediately recouping their losses. And I think that's an important dynamic for our world today, how to bounce back. Now, we did an episode, uh, 115, which was how to be resilient, and that will have tremendous uh, parallel to what we're talking about today. And just to kind of remind you, resilience by its nature is an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Have any of you experienced misfortune? How about change? Well, the whole world is changed and changing, so we all need to bounce back. And what resilience is, it's the capacity to recover quickly from these difficulties. It develops a toughness. And what we're really going to focus on today is the emotional resilience. You know, how to bounce back emotionally. That's really what we're here to talk about. How to bounce back emotionally. And um, I just think more and more, I think of Ogmandino and the greatest salesman in the world. And as I read out the 10 affirmations, uh, today I will control my emotions. Uh, More and more, I'm realizing that that is a significant path to success and a significant path to struggle, failure, and difficulty is not managing your emotions. And so rather than focus on withholding or restraining all the time, we know ultimately that that depletes us. We need to focus on how to bounce back. And so we're going to talk about this today, how to bounce back emotionally, developing this emotional resilience. So I have a few things for us today. We're going to talk about the barriers to emotional resilience. We're going to talk about the benefits of emotional resilience. And then we're going to talk about how to bounce back and build that emotional resilience, how to do it, how to bounce back emotionally. And so let's dive in here. First and foremost, there's some barriers to emotional resilience, perfectionism, people-pleasing, and uh, not having a reservoir emotionally. So perfectionism is striving for perfection to hide shortcomings or avoid criticism. Boy, we live in a world today that is so harsh. And it's what's happened is people have been able to do things they've never been able to do in the past, which is provide searing criticism and do it anonymously. I mean, imagine you had to, every time somebody said something online, that they actually had to be face-to-face to the person. No way would they do that. And the words that are used and the vitriol that's used and the extremist language that's used today, if people had to do it, they do not have the chops. They do not have the character. They do not have the guts 
in the in terms of confrontation to share with people stuff like that. So what happens is perfectionism is often, you know, trying to hide our shortcomings, but ultimately trying to uh, avoid criticism. And we get stuck on how things are supposed to be instead of how things actually are. So here's some examples. Making comparisons to fake perfection on social media where people put the best showreels of their lives on. You know, I, I have six kids and I just feel for my younger kids as they show me a lot of their stuff on Instagram. They don't show me most of it. But just some of it is just so out there just constantly, you know, the, the best life packaging, the best life packaging. And after a while, it's like, you know, get over yourself, you know, perhaps inadvertently or sometimes overtly critical parents. And so a lot of times what happens is because life is busy and kids are a lot of work, parents get short with their kids. I've done it. And what can happen is you can start communicating with your kids based on performance, not based on who they are. And so, you know, I remember myself, I came home one day and my old man goes, uh, I got a B in history. And he goes, my old man, you know, and he was just, he was trying to be funny. And you go, oh, they don't give out A's in that. And uh, I just remember that sting, you know, and I'll show you. And sure enough, I got A's the rest of my career in school on history. It became my favorite subject, but I ultimately wonder, was I trying to gain my old man's approval? I spent a lot of energy and time trying to earn approval on something that he probably never gave a second thought to the rest of his life. He probably never remembers that comment. I remember that comment. So perfectionism is a deadly, deadly thing. And it's really has its roots in either, like you said, trying to avoid criticism or trying to gain acceptance and approval, right? Trying to, trying to gain love through that stuff. The second version of it is people-pleasing. And those of us who have a people-pleasing personality, obviously there's, there's good to that. You know, I prefer people have a pleasing personality and they have a desire to please and put a smile on your face and so on and so forth. However, always try not to disappoint places unrealistic expectations on yourself. It reminds me of the older lady telling the story that when she was a young girl, she was consumed with what other people thought of her. And then she said, when I got older, I said, forget that. I, I just, I'm just not going to care what people think. And now I'm an old woman. I realize they weren't thinking of me in the first place. People pleasing. Uh, I, I did an interview with Terrell Davis, a Hall of Fame football player who almost completely destroyed his career in college because he became so consumed with what everybody thought, what his coaches thought, what his teammates thought, what the fans thought, what the media thought, that he got to the point where he worked every day to just do good enough to kind of not get above the radar. The fact of the matter is, he almost destroyed his Hall of Fame career. People are destroying their Hall of Fame lives because of people-pleasing. And the people-pleasing tends to lead to a low self-esteem and no confidence. And here's why. If you live to please people, people will always disappoint you. People will always disappoint you because they'll never be able to satisfy that need because that need is not satisfiable. It's actually connected to the false self, not the true self. It's a never-ending, insatiable appetite. And so, yes, it is good to have a pleasing personality. But just like perfectionism can destroy you, people-pleasing can do the same thing. Maxwell Maltz, who wrote Psycho-Cybernetics. Now, he was an unusual character to be such a giant in the self-development movement in the 70s and 80s because he was a plastic surgeon. Now, he was a plastic surgeon back in the day where it wasn't all about cosmetic surgery. 
he was in doing reconstructive plastic surgery that over time he saw more and more people choosing elective procedures. And he realized that people were chasing something that they could never attain. And he was actually asked to operate on people, to change their bodies, to change their face in order to please other people or the perception that people would have of them. And he said this, low self-esteem is like driving through life with the handbrake on. And Psycho-Cybernetics, one of the most brilliant personal growth books ever written, if you ever get a chance to check that out. Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And so a great anonymous quote says, I can't tell you the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. No question about it. The third reason why we get ourselves into trouble here on this whole dynamic of emotional resilience is not having an emotional reservoir. We have the misplacement of energy and focus. What happens is during the day, and it drains up our, our reserves. You need to have a reservoir. You need to have a, a tank full. And we give it away so easily. We give it away to the articles on our phone. We give it away to the clickbait. We give it away to the news. We give it away to those things we casually check into that ha don't have casual consequences anymore. And if we look at, you know, if you just stream your local news or national uh, whatever you search for your commentaries, what you'll find is the vitriol and the, the word. It's just so far out there. And, you know, like I say, to me, I mean, I've grown such a level of disrespect for our modern media because I don't believe we have true media anymore. I believe we have, uh, we don't have reporters. We have activists. We have activists that have gotten consumed by the need to dramatize things in order to get our attention. And what's happened is the more you have to dramatize things to get people's attention, the more dramatic you need to be. Uh, I talked with a surgeon here recently, and he was sharing with people taking painkillers. And he said the more painkillers they take, the more painkillers they have to take in order to numb out the pain. And that's how people get addicted to painkillers. And so what starts out as hey, one a day would do you, turns into eight a day, won't do you. Well, the same thing with whether it be perfectionism, whether it be people-pleasing, and also with the negativity that's in our world today. And what it does is it drains our reservoir, our reservoir that's designed to help us bounce back, our reservoir that's designed to help us have emotional resilience. We end up having little ability to cope with emotional distress and stay on task. Ultimately, you have to be able to bounce in the bounce back. And if you got no air in the ball, the ball doesn't bounce. If the ball's flat, and so many of us are flat, you know, the work is hard and life is hard. You know, I, I always say it's a good life, and it is. But I don't say it's an awesome life. I don't say it's an easy life. Those are infomercials I don't subscribe to. And you have to have some reservoir to be able to bounce back. Rupert Brooks said this, store up reservoirs of calm and contentment and draw on them at later moments when the source isn't there, but the very need is great. Albert Einstein said, in the midst of every crisis lies this great opportunity. So when the ball is being compressed, that's when the opportunity is to bounce back. Nelson Mandela said, part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed towards the sun and one's feet moving forward. This from a man who spent 27 years in jail. This from a man 
who not only spent 27 years in jail, but the only physical activity he was allowed to do was moving a pile of rocks from one end of a yard to the other, specifically designed to deplete people's spirits. So when he says keeping one's head pointed towards the sun and one's feet moving forward, talk about bouncing back. It's like a story from the Bible. Man was 27 years in jail and comes out of jail to become president of a country. When have you ever heard such a story? Whenever. It's like Joseph in the Bible. That's the only other example I have. Remarkable. That's a bounce back. He tells you how. So we know there's some barriers to emotional resiliency, and that's perfectionism, people-pleasing, and not having a reservoir. The second major point I want to talk to you about, what are the benefits of this emotional resilience, right? So this is ultimately what puts the air in the tank to actually do the bounce, okay? And so here's a couple of things that we can do uh, when we're facing these trials, when we're facing this adversity. First is, what's the worst that could happen? The second thing is to have a positive view of yourself, not your circumstances, but at yourself. And then having the ability to bounce back, actually having the ability. So let's talk about it. You know, what's the worst that could happen? We know that perfectionism is a myth. Well, just be realistic. Now, it's, it's important to be realistic and not awfulize the situation. So, okay, what's the worst that can happen? What that really means is not play out every single scenario where the, the, the disaster multiplies itself and feeds on itself. But ultimately, be realistic and go, okay, well, what is the worst that could happen here? Well, such and such can happen and this could happen. Okay, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Will it be a disaster if things go wrong? You know, you make a mistake. Are you awfulizing the situation and just working out your deepest fear? You know, 92% of the things we worry about never come to pass. And when I have stated that fact in the past, people go, what about the other 8%? The other 8% is called life. The other 8% is called life. But if you awfulize 92% of your life and spend your life focusing on the 92% that won't happen, talk about emptying up your reservoir, talking about not having the ability to bounce back. The fact of the matter is we just get stuck. We get stuck and we get stuck in fear. We get stuck in apprehension. And these are the things we have to understand. I mean, one of the the biggest epidemic I think the world has faced is not coronavirus by a long shot. The biggest epidemic in our world today is fear. And, And that is really the stuff that has me concerned. And what are the effects of that? And we need to be able to bounce back. We need to be able to bounce back. Brene Brown says, what we don't need in the midst of struggle is shame for being human. That's one of the dynamics of not awfulizing the situation. We need to understand, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I didn't manage my emotions. Oh, I, I reacted poorly. Now, sometimes there's consequences to that, and especially to the degree you do it. But ultimately, you now to give yourself a break for being a human being. Henry Ford said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. And, and, you know, you talk about a guy that was relentlessly positive with huge reservoirs of resilience and emotional intelligence. It was Henry Ford. Uh, you know, he was, he was actually put on trial one time. And in that court case, the prosecutor said, Henry Ford, you may be the dimmest man in America. I mean, how would you like to have that on the front page of a newspaper? And Ford didn't disagree with him. He said, when it comes to raw intelligence, I don't think I'm the smartest. But Henry Ford knew people, Henry Ford knew goals, and Henry Ford did this. 
he knew the relationships he could develop would ultimately solve all the problems he had. And, and so, you know what? That makes him not high IQ, but that makes him high EQ in the area of emotional intelligence. We got to be willing to try some stuff. It's okay when you make mistakes. Now, I'm going to tell you, this of everything I've ever communicated in almost 300 episodes of this show, this right here is the most difficult thing for me to, to deal with, which is Albert Einstein said, a person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new. I'm willing to try stuff. And then I, I have a tendency to get a little too attached to the mistake. And part of the process is this. If you already know how to do everything on your goal list, it's not a goal list. It's a to-do list. And the fact of the matter is there's left and right turns in all of life. Now, I've gotten better at this, and I've certainly gotten better at this with the people who work for me, but I've got to do a better job of this with myself, where it's like, okay, you know, you're going you're gonna to make an omelet, you're going to break some eggs, okay? It's just part of it. And for me, some of it comes back to scarcity creeping in or some old stuff that I haven't worked through, a little bit of a poverty mindset that can show its head. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm flying around the world on a, on a private jet, you can have a poverty mindset. So the fact of the matter is, as we work through these different things and we figure out what's the worst can happen, we keep the perspective and we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And, and I think if we do that, we can, we can realize, okay, making mistakes is part of the deal. And I'm going to, okay, what did I learn from this? What's the next thing? Uh, the next thing that's very important here is in, in regards to emotional resilience is a positive view of yourself. You got to have a positive view of yourself. And so stop focusing on what you think other people expect of you. You know, I think the real key is to live your life consistent with your own values and goals. I, I think if you do that, you win. One of the most high-achieving people in American history was Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin did so many things. He had the Poor Rich's Almanac. And Poor Richard was, was, it was the most widely read publication in America. He became the postmaster general. He was one of the, the obviously, the founding fathers of the country and the Declaration of Independence. He was, one of, he was a, an ambassador. He invented all kinds of stuff, whether the lightning rod, whether the Franklin stove. He was America's first millionaire. You know, one of the things I did back in the day when I was a baby realtor and I was, you know, maybe 20 years old, I went to a Franklin planner training course. It was a time management course. They had a Franklin planner, but they told all about the history of Ben Franklin. The reason they had this planner was that Ben Franklin had a journal every day, and he listed the values that were most important to me. He had 12 values, and he wrote on the inside of his journal. He read them every day. And his goal was, when he woke up in the morning, read the 12 values and try to live by those values every day. And at the end of the day, it, it was what it was. His life was what it was. And uh, at the end of the day, you can have a positive view of yourself. Uh, and I always say to people, you know, again, it goes back to that people-pleasing. It's better to be respected than liked. Because if people respect you first, they can like you. But if people only like you and don't respect you, oh boy, uh, there's a lot of burnt energy coming trying to get people to respect you when you just want them to like you, just like you. Because the like itself, that's fleeting. A great anonymous quote says, what other people think of you is none of your business. I love that. Roy Disney. Now, Roy Disney was the, the businessman behind Walt Disney. Irish people have a great affinity for Roy Disney because he had a, a castle down in Cork and he had a giant big sailboat. He used to sail over to Ireland every year. And he says, when your values are clear, decision-making becomes easier. I heard that later on from Lou Tice. Now, Lou was kind of quoting himself, but he got it from Roy Disney. 
Ogmandino said your only limitations are those you set up in your mind or permit others to set up for you. So what do we need? A positive view of yourself. Now, let's be candid, right? We don't want to be in denial. I can make a big list of my shortcomings, and I can probably do that easier than I can the lifts to my gifts. But the truth of the matter is I need to focus on the value I bring, who I am, and what I am. Life beats the heck out of us, you know? And we join in, and we join in, and we beat the heck out of ourselves. I have several people in my life, every time I'm with them, I I seem to just be reminding them of who they are. And I just think we need to know ourselves. We need to know who we are. And, you know, what value do we bring? Who are we as a person? And understand that. And I think it's very, very important to have that positive view of ourselves. Focus on the good. Work on the not so good, but I think focus on the good. And then lastly, you know, the the actual ability to bounce back itself. This is critical. Uh, First of all, when you go through a, a challenge or a difficult experience, be realistic about why things didn't go your way. I mean, I think that's very important. You know, that time of assessment. Was it the circumstances? Was it the market? Was it a situation? Was it what? Did you not have the right information? Did you make a snap decision? Was it a a pattern? Just be realistic about it. Just have some perspective. Was it something out of your control? I have a friend who opened up a restaurant two days before COVID and all the restaurants got shut down. Now, there's a part of it. I think he had a part to play in because he opened up four restaurants and he overextended himself. And he took out a lot of loans. And, and he was justifying to me the whole time why he was opening four restaurants. Because the restaurant he had was going great and this and that. Well, now is the time. But he used a lot of leverage. And so he opened up his restaurant on the day the market died. Now, at the end of the day, there was nothing anyone could ever foresee that the market would die and that all four restaurants would be shut down for a year. However, uh, what was able to be assessed was, geez, could I have taken my time and just opened up one? Did I have to go into such debt? that I had to leverage myself so deeply. He was taking a giant gamble and he needed things to go well for a couple of years in order to get these things off the ground. And now it didn't. And now he's really struggling. And again, it's not the end of his story. And that's what I tell him. The story's not written. Okay? You're not in a pine box, baby. You know, this story's not written. This could be just a chapter and it could be a very, very powerful chapter. You make mistakes. And if you do it right, the mistakes can make you. They can. They don't define you, but they can make you. Uh, And like I've mentioned many times, I've owned 47 businesses, 46 of which made money, some of them extraordinary amounts of money. Uh, I had one business failure, and I, I can honestly tell you I learned more from that than anything else. And during my lowest time where, you know, I, I made mistakes similar to the restaurant guy. That's why I told him why not to do it. Because I levered myself, I stretched myself too thin. And I had uh, a friend, a golfing buddy, who wasn't much of a personal growth and development guy. He was a 24-year Navy warrant officer and kind of a crusty single guy. I loved him deeply. And he came to me during a a very, just a time where I was like, man, I have screwed up here. I have made a business decision here that I know I'm facing long haul. And he just said, hey. It's not how far you fall, but how high you can bounce. That's what matters. And uh, I think of Tom Kelly, and I think of him often. He's passed now. But that was the right word for me at the right time. And it was at my lowest point. And it just gave me a little courage to go, okay, it won't always be like this. I won't always be at the bottom. And I'll be candid with you. That 
business failure happened for me 25 years ago, it still guides my decisions. It still influences my thinking on things, not in regards to scared, but it, it makes me manage against myself. That business failed because I wasn't thorough enough in my plan. And now I'm very thorough in plans. And now I take my time, no matter what the market's doing. And so, again, it isn't how far you fall, but how high you bounce. Albert Einstein, again, says, uh, adversity introduces a person to themselves. And Andy Andrews, my good friend, said, adversity is preparation for greatness. I want to say this again. I say this all the time. I'm going to keep saying it. If you're a parent out there, look, I'm a parent of six kids. I have a couple of grandkids. I don't want harm to come to any of my kids or any of my grandkids. And I work very hard as a devoted family man in that regard. But I also know that the adversity my kids face is the making of them. I don't want them to face artificial adversity. I don't want them to face things without guidance and just, hey, you got to figure it out. Not at all. But I also know there's nothing I can do to prevent adversity coming into their life. And, and I see many parents who go to such ridiculous lengths to do this. It shows up in sports. It shows up in schooling. Oh, my gosh, my kid's on the bench and she's sad. Great. That adversity can make you great. It can make you work harder. It can make you focus, put in effort. Let me tell you, it's a good life. It's not a great life. And we become who we are because of the adversity we faced in our life. And then we remove that from our kids' lives. And so I would just say, bouncing back is an important thing. And by the way, when kids are young, they get, they're, they're more supple. They have more bounce in their bounce back. So you want them to obviously not make the major mistakes. You want them to not make the life-altering, never-come-back-from-it mistakes. But what you certainly want to do is try to help them through the adversities they face. Be that sounding board. So we know there's some great benefits from emotional resilience and having that positive view of yourself and the ability to bounce back. And then, like I say, being realistic. What's the worst that could happen? The last thing I want to share with you today is how-to, right? We mindset, motivation, and the methodologies of success. And the methodologies of success here to build emotional resilience so you can bounce back. So we're going to talk about how to embrace imperfection. We're going to talk about how to have confidence in our strengths and abilities. And then ultimately, we're going to learn how to work our resilience muscles. So let's talk about it. We've got to embrace perfection. You know, mistakes are just learning opportunities. They're proof that you're trying. That's what it is. They're proof that you're trying. And, you know, you better have loved and lost than never loved at all. I mean, it hurts. It's difficult. But, you know, my buddy Joe Nego says there's no such thing as failure. It's only feedback. Now, it doesn't mean that, it, again, emotional resilience, it doesn't hurt. Of course, it stings. But just because it stings, it doesn't have to crush you. It, it can bruise you, but it doesn't have to crush you. You can bounce back. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, said, good is the enemy of great. And sometimes we lower our expectations to pursue greatness. And we just say, okay, like Terrell Davis, I'm going to just try to do good, not, not, to, not to rock the boat, okay? The greatest mistake you can ever make is to be afraid of making one. That's just a great concept. Babe Ruth said, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. That's how he viewed it. I mean, if you think about it, this guy is considered the greatest to ever do what he did. And yet, seven out of 10 times he failed. And oftentimes more than that. And the fact of the matter is, if you're going to fail seven out of 10 times, you have to have the right mindset. You have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to fail to win. Every strike gets me closer to a, a home run. 
the next thing, and we've spent a lot of years in Buffini and Company with the heritage profile, and now the real strengths dynamic is uh, helping people identify their strengths and abilities. We've done podcasts with Kevin Buffini here and talking about strengths and abilities. Uh, and I just think we have to really have confidence in our strengths and abilities, our natural gifts and our natural abilities that we're blessed with, and then also our natural history. You know, I did it before, I can do it again. What have you done in the past? When have you done things well? And it might have been a long time. It might have been when you were a kid. What was it? And how did you do it? Go back to that. What challenges have you already overcome in your life? Listen to, you know, the letters I receive and the emails I receive from you folks that are listening to this program, just so inspiring. And so many of you have overcome such adversity in your life. I can't, some of it I can't even imagine. And then you, you face your next problem. You go, well, I really don't know how to do this. And I'll go, look at what you already overcame. You did it before. You can do it again. I would also say, make sure you get the help you need. You know, in the world we live in today, we have an erosion of uh, traditional mentorship. And so getting a coach. I mean, in business, I, I think anybody who ha is in business and doesn't have a business coach is practicing malpractice. If you don't have a business coach, I have a bunch of them. I have consultants and people we pay a lot of money to, to give us guidance, to see when we're on, to reinforce what we're doing well, and to catch us with these smaller mistakes. And I'm running a, a big company like Buffini Company. When I make a mistake today, it's millions of dollars as a mistake. And so I started doing this years and years ago, before coaching was even an industry. That's why the Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and Og Mandino, they were my coaches. They were my mentors through their books and tapes. And uh, it's one of the reasons that inspired me because I knew I needed more. It inspired me to start Buffini and Company 25 years ago. And I said, if I had a chance to help people, I'm not just going to give them the ideas. We're going to coach them and provide the accountability and the encouragement, kind of roll up our sleeves and do it with them. And it's become a fantastic business that's changed just so many people's lives in the deepest way because they went and got the help. And, and we all need help. We all need help. We need coaches. We need mentors. We need training. And we need a community of people. It's very important as you go through this journey. You know, if you're going to bounce back, if you're going to develop emotional resilience, you're not going to do it alone. You need help. You need something to bounce off of and synergize with and create with. And uh, there's nothing like when a bunch of people are bouncing back together. Powerful stuff. Fanny Flagg said, being a successful person is not necessarily defined by what you've achieved, but by what you've overcome. Ralph Marston, NFL player, said, Accomplishment comes from making positive efforts, even in the face of negative circumstances. And then the great Helen Keller said, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. I was actually reading about Helen Keller the other night. Her great mentor was Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, as he was referred to by her. And Mark Twain saw this young woman at the turn of the 19th century who was blind, who was deaf and dumb. And he mentored her. He championed her. She was the f first person with her disabilities to ever graduate college. Uh, she became one of the most prolific writers in American history, a thought leader, a brilliant, brilliant woman. And she was mentored by Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. And he took the time to help her develop the confidence in her own abilities and her own strength. And here I am a hundred years later, quoting her on a podcast to you today. The last we want to talk about in regards to bouncing back is to learn to work your resilience muscles, okay? 
And uh, just like a workout, when you work out with weights, you, those muscles, they tear, they, uh, they're under adversity, and they get to bounce back and become stronger. That's how muscle definition takes place. That's how muscle building takes place. And so how do we work our resilience muscles? Well, don't dwell in discouragement. Don't dwell on it. If you need to talk to somebody and get it out, if you need to write it out, if you need to talk it out, you do it. And then get right back on the horse and try again. Only try differently. What can you learn? Reflect. Restore. Build up the reservoir. Get the help this time and go again. Work that resilience muscle by keep improving. Improving yourself. I just know this is a fact. And I, I, I'm an old school self-improvement guy. You know, I'm an immigrant who came here with nothing. But I got exposed to the American self-development movement. The Jim Rohns and the Zig Ziglers and the Ogmandinos and the Brian Tracys and the Nito Cobains of the world. And I poured myself into their content. I poured myself into what they taught long before I had a chance to become friends with all of them except Ogmandino, who passed away really as I was kind of entering into my prime. But uh, I'm going to say that I worked those muscles by growing and growing and growing myself. And I would just say this. If you develop yourself in everywhere in the marketplace that shows up, if you develop yourself, it shows up in your marriage and your relationships. If you develop yourself, it shows up in your parenting. If you develop yourself, it shows up in your communication. It shows up in your business. It shows up in your life. It shows up on your job. It shows up everywhere. And so if you will self-develop and, and work that muscle, you become more resilient as a result of it. Why? You have all these great principles. You have all these great values that you're honing. You have all these great practices in your life, and it helps you to stand up. Powerful stuff. Samuel Beckett said, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again. Fail again, fail better. Winston Churchill said, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. An ancient proverb says, fall seven times, stand up eight. No doubt about it. And so Dale Carnegie, okay, the really the guy that brought personal growth and development into the whole training sphere, said the successful person will profit from their mistake and try again in a different way. I've mentioned this several times in conversations, but Warren Buffett has over 40 honorary doctorates and degrees. And yet in his office in Omaha, Nebraska, there is one sheepskin on the wall, if you will. And it is his graduation certificate from an eight-week Dale Carnegie course a personal growth and development course. Why? Because it gave him the confidence to ask his wife out on a date. Why? It gave him confidence to actually talk to investors. For all his brilliance and all his smarts and all his, I mean, genius abilities when it comes to finance, he needed some self-development so that he could bounce back himself. And we all do. We talked about it today, how to be resilient and how to go through it. And I've lived it. I've lived it. And I will say to you, you know, and some of you have heard this story before. In 2007, I had a lot going on at the time, but one of the things that took place is that our home uh, was taken in a fire, and it was a fire that was moving at 70 miles an hour uh, through Southern California. We lost everything. Uh, we homeschooled our six kids, so the school was gone. Our home was gone. We left with one car and the shirts on our back, and it was, it was a tough time, and it was a tough time because at the time, the, the Great Recession was taking place. Real estate was at the center of that. I was in the midst of letting hundreds of my employees go. I had health issues. There was all kinds of stuff coming down at the same time. And then what happened is after the home burnt down, 
we moved into a rental property. And we're paying a lot of money every month because the market was tight. And this guy was charging us 12 grand a month to rent a house in an area that was probably seven grand a month was the highest rent in that area. And sure enough, I'm on the road traveling shortly after the fire. Beverly calls me. Hey, there was a knock on the door today. The guy we've been paying for the mortgage hasn't paid the mortgage. We have to leave in three days. This house is in foreclosure. And then we go to the next house and I do the same thing. Only at this time I say, hey, dude, you need to show me that you're paying the mortgage every month. And he showed me statements every month. He sent me a, an email with a copy of a statement. Well, I'm on stage. I get a, a text backstage. Honey, same things happened. This guy didn't pay the mortgage. Guy was falsifying the statement. Now I have a wife, six kids. I mean, we lose everything in a fire. You're starting over from scratch. And we end up having to move six times in 18 months. I mean, if you have ever had kids, do you think about uh, taking kids on an airplane? Well, try taking kids on a journey over 18 months where you move six times. While you're running a business, you're in a recession, dealing with some health issues. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. When Tom Kelly came to me and talked about bouncing back, it was in 1995. It was 12 years before the Great Recession. It was 12 years before the fire. It was 12 years before all of this stuff. And here's what I'm going to say to you. For my wife and I, as difficult as that time was, it was not nearly as difficult as, as it was in 1995. And the reason being is that during those 12 years, we'd built up bounce-back muscles. We had built up our emotional resiliency. And when the trials came that were so difficult, and that went on for, for years, to be candid with you, the fact of the matter is we had far more resilience than we ever did before. And so since that recession, we've continued to build back, to build back, not just build back our finances and build back homes and do all that type of stuff, but actually to build back resilience. And so today, when many things come at us left and right, which they do because life is like that, we find that we have some pretty good bounce back muscles, still learning, still growing, still hurts. But when you have these setbacks and you have these difficulties, you find that you bounce back quicker and faster and harder than you ever did before and fly higher. And that's my hope and prayer for all of you. Well, this was on my heart. This is what I want to share with you today. I hope if you're in need of a bounce back, this has been helpful. I hope if your things are going fine, you'll build up those resilience muscles now. So the next time you do face adversity, you can bounce back better. And then the last is maybe as you grow yourself and work on yourself and you encounter friends and family who are going through a tough time, you'll be able to share with them from your example and not just your words, how they can bounce back. And I also want to say this one last thing, is that we appreciate so many of you, uh, hundreds of thousands of you tune into this show every single month, and we appreciate you. We're really making a commitment here to help more and more people live the good life. What we want to do at the Brian Buffini Show is ask you, is if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this show, reach out to them. Encourage them to subscribe to the show. We want to reach as many people as we can. As you guys know, we don't sell products and programs. We don't do advertising here. What we want to do is reach as many people as possible. So please, help other people bounce back. Reach out to them. Let them know that we're never too busy to have one more person on the journey with us to live in the good life. Well, a person who knows all about bouncing back for the last 90 years is my mom, Therese Buffini. Nothing gives me more great encouragement when I hear her closing comments and the little Irish blessing. It's actually a, an Irish blessing all about a country that bounced back. And uh, that's been here to bless the rest of the world ever since. So thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this. Over to you, Therese. 
may the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.